Okay, I want to talk today about, um, and I'm hoping to show you just, I want to show you a link. Um, I could almost give you the, the answer and then not build up the plot, but um, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> uh, so I'll just give it to you. What I want to show you today is, is that we, we hear the word heart, or for Australians, heart. The heart. <laughs> Um, but the heart, it, it, we, we, we look at it almost as this organ um, that pumps. And you hear it thrown out in Christian circles and preachers all the time, you know, with your heart. But the, 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 the word, the Greek word is cardia, which is where we get the word cardio from, which is this organ that pumps. In a sense, it, is, it pumps life through your body. And so they somehow got it right. But the, the Greek, the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew word is, is lebab, and, and it actually speaks of the seat of your consciousness, the center of your very being. And so what I want to show you is, well, let me, let me, let me first read a couple of scriptures to you. Um, the heart is where a person believes. And you, and you see in Luke 24, 25, um, he says this, and, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In Romans 10, verse 9 to 10, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes and is justified, and then with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so you see that the heart, the center of our being, um, is where we actually get our belief from. Um, the heart is where a person discerns between right and wrong. And it says that in 1 Kings 3 verse 9, um, the king prays and he says, Give your servant therefore an understanding heart, to govern your people, so that I may discern between what is good and what is evil. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? We see that the heart is the center of man's character. Matthew 15, verse 18 to 20 says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and, is, and, and this defiles a person. For if out of the heart, sorry, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts. So it's not from your head, it's from your heart. Evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Luke 6 verse 45, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart. Not here. This is where your organ is. This is the seat, the center of your being. Out of the treasure of his heart produces good. And out of the evil, sorry, and the evil person, out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 20, and this is a key one for me. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Keep your heart, so look after. Preaching, take a message from me, thanks. Um, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That's all right. It's not the end of the world. Jesus preached there were goats bleating, sheep, people screaming, demons coming out, babies crying, hungry people shouting. It was was chaos. I think the church is a lot more quieter than the mess that Jesus preached in. Let me read that again. That was a key scripture. Proverbs 4 verse 23. Keep your heart, tend to your heart with all vigilance, for, for from it flow the springs of life. Devil doesn't want us to know that scripture. So I'm going to read it again. Okay. 
If you hold the button on the top of your phone down long enough, a little thing says off. You just push that button, generally it'll turn the phone off. Apple users, there's a switch on the side. If you flick it, it goes into buzz mode. Don't put it on the chair because then it makes a sound, okay? You've got to put it in your pocket. Okay. Proverbs 4, don't feel embarrassed. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I was waiting for the phone to come in. From your heart flows the springs of life. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Whole sermon there. That, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, length, and height and depth, and then to know the love of Christ or the Messiah that surpasses knowledge. It surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Christ, your heart, surpasses knowledge. We think from our hearts, not from our heads. What we're supposed to. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. But most Christians, most human beings think from their head. So what I want to show you, quite frankly, is this. That there's a number of, of, of the scriptures that I read where I can tie you straight back to another, another era, should I say. And that is I can almost tie it back into the garden. I want to show you that, that our heart is actually the garden in which Adam and Eve were placed. I believe, and others believe it as well, and so I'm not alone in this, but I, the garden in Eden, not the garden of Eden, and you'll see that as I read the scripture now, it says the garden in Eden, the garden that was in paradise. So there was a paradise, and then in the paradise was a garden in which God placed Adam and Eve. He placed mankind. I believe that the garden itself was a spiritual realm in which Adam and Eve dwelt, and from there they were meant to go out and subdue the earth. Let's go to Genesis 1 verse 28. Sorry, Genesis 1 verse 26. Well, let's go there quickly. Genesis 1 26. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I'm not going to get into that. It's a, it, 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 suffice to say that Adam and Eve actually looked, in the spiritual dimension, looked like God. Image and likeness. They had the same nature and character. Image looked like him. Likeness, same nature and character. And he said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, him, male and female. He created them. Both man and woman together make up the nature, the image and the likeness of God. God blessed them and God said to them, this is a key, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth 
and subdue it. Take control over it. Rule over it is what he's saying to them. And he says it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Who was on the earth when Adam and Eve came? A serpent. The fallen Lucifer, Satan, whatever you want to call him, this fallen angel with the other one-third of them were living beings who had been placed on the earth under the subjection of who? Adam and Eve. Mankind. Very interesting. Why do we let Satan have his way with us? And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant. And he goes on to speak about that. Let's go across to chapter 3. From verse 1. Let's read from there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field. I'm reading from the ESV, by the way, of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, Knowing good and evil. Firstly, I want to say this to you. The tree that was, that we call the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that word, knowledge, is actually, the, the, the Hebrew word is da'at, D-A-A-T, da'at. And it's actually used in the, in the correct use of that is where Adam knew, had knowledge of his wife when they actually came together in the act of making love. Where they be, it's the word used for union. The tree of knowledge, the tree that we call, it could actually be called this, the tree of the union between what is good and what is evil. And that is what caused them to fall. It's not that they had knowledge in their head. It was that they began to combine evil, what is evil and what is good together. Where does the world sit? We have no moral understanding. We believe, you know, if it feels good, do it, even if it's wrong. And we try to twist around the evil things to make them seem right. We see it happening, and the world is degrading constantly. What the enemy did is he said that when you eat of that tree, you will become like God, uniting good and evil. That's defaming the name of God. He was bringing defamation to God's name. Have you heard people say, if, if God created all things, then God created sin? That's defaming the name of God. The world is still doing it to this day. Exactly what Satan started in the garden. Trying to convince people that God brought union between what is good and evil. And we now as mankind should decide what's right and wrong because God couldn't do it properly. That's why we find ourselves in the mess where we are now. Just look at what's happening across the shores. People have lost all moral understanding in the United States of America. And it's just absolute chaos. And this is happening all over the world. See, when Adam and Eve eat from the tree, it triggers a new modus operandi for the entire human experience. The senses, the human senses, become more powerful than our heart, our understanding. 
And because of all the sensory delights, sorry, and because all the sensory delights are by nature subjective, at this point, man's frame of reference becomes personal rather than universal. It becomes about us rather than universal, rather than about the bigger picture. We see that happening today in the church as well. We become very inward looking. It's all about your personal experience with Jesus. It's all about your personal salvation. Even the gospel has been brought into in, 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 in common reformed evangelical circles. Our teaching is all about personal salvation. And the gospel has been lost. The gospel is not about you. And I'll, I'll do a whole sermon on this. But it's not about you. <laughs> Just so you know. The good news was never about you. The good news was about Jesus. Amen? It's about Jesus is the King of Kings. And a part of this is that he has now opened the way for you as an individual and beyond you, all of mankind to come in. Back into where? The garden. Union with God. So because they eat from the tree, every person feels like they're empowered to decide what is right from wrong. And that's where human beings have failed from the beginning. That we decide what's right and wrong based on my personal experience. And it brings confusion. So when, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, verse 6, it was a light to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, <laughs> she took of its fruit, and she ate, and she gave it to, some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, their physical eyes now are open. Remember, Adam and Eve saw each other as spiritual beings. They lived in a spiritual dimension. But all of a sudden, the fleshly eyes, the physical eyes open, and they begin to place more emphasis on the physical body, the flesh, than on the spirit. And then they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, as we heard this morning. It was wonderful. When you said that, I thought, she's going to take my preach. But it's good. It just ties in. It's prophetic. That's what God does in a prophetic house. <laughs> he just speaks across the board. You know what I mean? And, and so what, what happens here is we see that, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. That word for walking in the Hebrew is halak, halak. And it's a very intimate way of walking almost hand in hand. So they saw the, saw, so God came walking in the cool of the day. That word cool is actually the word ruah, which is the same word used for spirit, breath. God came walking to them, not in the cool when there was no sun. He came walking in the breath, in the spirit. This was a common event, by the way. This wasn't a one-off, oh, all of a sudden God's there. He was walking with them. Why? They halak, they walked with God in an intimate way. Now, if you look at the garden, in the, I didn't read that part, but it speaks about the garden. It speaks of four rivers. Rivers speaks of, of life. Springs of life, or otherwise rivers of life. Didn't we just read that in, in Psalms? Uh, sorry, in Proverbs when I read earlier. That from your heart, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the rivers of life. Come on now. Adam and Eve were put in the garden, and he says to work the garden. That word work is actually the word serve. As a bond servant, a loving slave gives himself over to serve. It wasn't a, an effort. It was a serving the garden. Tending to, as we heard Ben say, the soil of your heart. Adam and Eve's job was simple. Tend to your heart. 
tend to the garden, which would bring forward life for you and empower you. And then when you go out of this garden into all of the world, you take with you the spiritual dimension of God's nature and you subdue the earth under God's government, which is a good government. That's why wherever Jesus went, he was walking in the fullness of what Adam and Eve walked in in the garden, in complete halak with the Father, by the Spirit at all times, never once ever walking out of the Spirit. And, and it's, it's, so, it's so interesting. I'll, I'll get to it in a moment. So he comes walking, and man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Isn't it so interesting that when we... When we do something wrong, what's the first thing we do? <laughs> we hide ourselves from God. As we just heard a testimony. I love it. I love when you preach and then someone brings forward a testimony of their life. That's a, that's a, that's an opportunity. As he says, I don't want to be vulnerable. He was more vulnerable than he's ever been right now in the crowd of people. So it's, it's a, that's a sign of healing instantaneously. Now you go, oh, we didn't see a man's eye open today, but we saw a man's heart come to the first point of, I became intimate. And vulnerable before a crowd of people. I've just told you I don't become vulnerable. Isn't that the first sign of healing? Thank you, Jesus, for healing. We, you've witnessed healing today. Healing of a person's heart and their mind. This is interesting. We always look for the big show, don't we? We miss the small things that God does. We always want the apple tree, but we don't want to tend to the apple seed. We always want to ride the motorbike, but you don't want to ride the bicycle with the training wheels first. There's a lot of power for human beings. God's given it to us. But He trains us, trains us, trains us through diligence, through discipline. And the man and his wife hid themselves, presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard this. So, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, God knew where he was. God wasn't asking him, where are you in the flesh? He's asking, where are you in the spirit? Where are you? The question wasn't for God to know where Adam was. The question was for Adam to recognize. So the Adam, Adam does what every one of us do. It's incredible what the human race does. And he said, so he said to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Obviously, God saw the whole event. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave. This is it. So he blames the woman. The woman blames Satan. <laughs> Listen, it is so clear. It's not Satan's fault. It's not anyone's fault. It's your fault. That is your fault. When you eat of the tree in your heart that is not meant to be eaten of, because let me tell you, if you're taken back into the garden, guess what happens? Your heart still has the two trees. The only difference is, is that the union that was made between Adam and, and God and Adam, when Adam and Eve fell, they were removed from that garden. In Christ, we brought back into the garden. The only difference is that the more you, and we eat from that tree every day. Brad does. I don't know about you. You may be far more perfect than me. But honestly, I eat from that tree often because I'm stupid. But I'm still a son. But guess what happens? The union, God made a union with his son Jesus. God the Father made a covenant with Jesus Christ his son, and then he placed Jesus Christ his son in you. 
Jesus and the Father cannot break the union of salvation. They cannot break that covenant. You can break the covenant, but the covenant is not made with you. It's made with Christ, and Christ is placed in you. And so the more and more you do it, you can't leave the garden, but you can still eat of that tree. That's what I'm trying to say to you. You can still choose to eat of the tree, but you will never be removed from the garden. You're not removed from the presence of God, but you will hide yourself always from Him when He wants to walk with you. And most Christians live in that place of hiding themselves from God. Because we mess up daily. Our thoughts, our actions, our words, what we look at, everything. There's always little things where there's an opportunity for us to hide ourselves away from God when He wants to come and halak, walk with you. Which is every day, all day. Then we wonder, why are we not seeing? Because you're hiding from God. Adam and Eve had a choice. I I guarantee you, this is my belief strongly. If Adam came out and said, I'm so sorry, we ate from that tree. Repentance instantaneously. But he goes, it was her fault, it was her, it was her, then she said, no, it was the snake, snake's fault. None of them wanted to take responsibility out of the garden. The first thing you do when you mess up, you go straight to God. I told you that a few weeks ago. Straight to Him. Father, this is what I've done. He already knows that. So it's not like he's like, oh my, oh my gosh, why? He's just waiting for you to come and own up to it. Oh God, you know, I admit, yeah, I knew that, I know. Let's, oh, shh. It's okay. Don't do it again. Yeah, but no, no. What do you go, son? Don't do it again. If you eat from that tree, destruction will come to you. <laughs> if you eat from it today, tomorrow, when they ate from it, destruction comes to you. And God's saying, eat of the one tree, the tree of life. And how do you do that? You learn to walk halak in the spirit. And he goes to blame, she blames, he blames, they all blame. Then they, they have to get removed from the garden. So that they can, and, and, and when God redeems us in Christ, He brings us back into that state of being, the spiritual state of being when we're in the garden. Adam is told that the fields, now that he's eaten, the fields will not only, sorry, will not only produce grain, but they will now also produce weeds. And so the more and more we eat of the tree that is, that is of the union where we unite good and evil together, what happens is we begin to see weeds in our life. And as we heard from Ben, when the weeds are there, they choke the promises, the word of life of God that's in you. The word is the seed. God speaks to us from this written word, from the, the rhema word, the spirit in us, constantly giving us words. And, we, and when the weeds are allowed to grow because we eat from the wrong tree, it just squashes those words. It doesn't mean they're not there. We, we have to learn to tend the garden. Tend your heart. Clean it. It's your job. God saved you. It's not your job for salvation. Jesus, by his, God the Father by His grace, sent His Son Jesus. You are born again, not by any effort or works unto righteousness. But there are works in righteousness. And that's called tending, looking after the garden. It doesn't magically happen. That's your free choice, as it was Adam and Eve's. He provides the way. It's up to us to walk into the way. And because of that, when, you, when we do that, we, we mix good and bad into the fabric of, of our natural world. We're not supposed to look at each other in the flesh anymore. Paul says that. He says... Be, he says, now that we're redeeming Christ, we no longer see one another in the flesh. We once knew Christ. Let's actually speak about this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, verse 11 goes, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we, we persuade others. But what we are, what we are is actually known to God. And I hope it's also known 
to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but we're giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances, not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves or outside of ourselves, is what he's saying, it is for God. Isn't that interesting? But if we are in our right mind, it is for you. So you should see us behind closed doors. We would look like madmen, foaming at the mouth. I don't know. I'm just... We, we, in, our, in our times alone with God, we, we get into these places sometimes where we are, if someone walks in the room, they think we're crazy. But, but when we're with you, we've got to contain ourselves so that you, we have to be in our right minds. Otherwise, no one's going to pay attention to us. That's what Paul's pretty much saying. For if we beside ourselves for God, if we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ control or compels us. I like that word. I don't like the word control. That's, that's the ESV, the reformed guys write that word. They love that word controls us. He actually compels us. Okay? Because you have to go to the Greek. You have to go to the original Greek language or the Hebrew language when you read certain Bibles. I'm just going to encourage you to do that because sometimes they misinterpret the word and they slant it towards their belief system. And I found that in a number of interpretations. You just go straight back to the original source. Um, he says, the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this. This is, what, this is why we are compelled by God's love. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. And was raised. And I love, uh, we heard this before, I think it was Edith who mentioned, but when you're born again, you're not, you're not free to do whatever you want. You're free to live like Christ. That just disarms some of the uh, misinterpretations of grace. Drastically misinterpreted. We can be whoever you want to be. No, you can't. You can be like Christ. Verse 16. From now on, from now on, the, we, sorry, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him like this no longer. So he's speaking about Jesus in his bodily form. He goes, actually, we don't. We don't. We've, we've come to realize he is the Messiah King, the Son of the living God. He is the spiritual being. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ, who through the Messiah, reconciled us to himself and he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, that in the Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sin against them, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And he goes on to speak about it. He implores them. But let me just say this. Before eating from the tree, Adam and Eve saw each other first and foremost as spiritual beings. They knew the spirit is the essence of a human being with the body serving as a mere protective covering in which we outworked it in, a natural, in the natural realm. Go into the spiritual place and then as you come out in the natural, the spiritual emanates from you, radiates from you to bring about transformation. It's so interesting that he says this, that you are a new creation. We don't know each other after the flesh. Now, now this, this annoys me, something profuse, about the, the reformed evangelical circle, is that they always want to point you back to having a sinful nature, deal with your sin, the behavior patterns of a human being. 
Isn't that bringing you back to looking at the flesh rather than looking at the things of the Spirit? Yes, do we have fleshly behavior? 100% we do. Why? Because we eat from the wrong tree. But if I continue to focus on that natural side, the fleshly side, are you going to come into victory? No. And Paul says this, if you walk by the Spirit, then you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. He doesn't say, walk by the Spirit and do not. How can I not? I cannot unless I walk by the Spirit. So he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not. It's natural. The more I walk, I halak with the Spirit, the 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 ruah of God, to use the, the Hebrew, or the pneuma in the Greek. The more I walk with the Spirit of God, tending to the garden of my heart, naturally, I don't operate in the flesh. It's natural. Because of this, the body's become a distraction. For a spiritual, listen to this, for a spiritual being, there can be there cannot be any greater humiliation than to be sized up by something as superficial as the flesh. There's no greater humiliation for a spiritual being to be weighed up and sized up and judged according to something as superficial as this fleshly body. And people are constantly in the church sizing you up according to the flesh. I remember when I first got saved, I, I, I was in a church and they, they'd, they'd seen uh, um, a leadership calling on my life. And, and so what, what happened is the, the, the senior leader, the senior elder, the visionary elder, the senior pastor, whatever you want to call him, took it upon himself to set me into a discipleship program with himself where on a weekly basis I would sit with him and he would give me five points of areas in my life where I was failing and needed to sort it out. And so eventually what I did is I said to him one day, when I sat down, I said, why don't you just give me everything, leave me alone for the next year, and let me go and deal with these things with God. And you know what he did? He actually did give that to me. He gave me a whole list of stuff. Sort this out, this out, this out, this out, this out. Friends, I lived, I, I was in that church for four years. I left that church to move to Dubai. I, I was, we, we were, myself and my then wife, Pharaoh, were, were treated with absolute disdain when we decided that God had called us to go and support Mark Altringham and Shemaine Altringham in planting a church in Dubai. And I had led a home group. I'd actually led a, two home groups, handed the one over, planted another home group. Out of that home group, we raised up five other people who planted home groups. All five of those people became elders in that church at one point. We um, headed up ministry into Mozambique. I, headed up, I started and headed up the youth and handed it over. And on the day that I sat down and said, I believe God has called us, and he said to me, no, you will not go. You will obey us as the elders. And I said, okay, I won't go. And I went and prayed on the beach. And God said to me, son, whose voice is louder? That man's or mine? I said, yours. I went back and I said, I need to talk with you. He sat me down with the other elders. I said, I've, I've prayed about it. And I, I want to say to you, I respect you. I honor you. But God's voice is louder than yours. And he said to me, as of this day, you are no longer a son in this house. You are a friend. He took me off the deacon team. He removed all the ministry that we were a part of. And my wife wept. We had two months to go. She cried and said, let's leave this church. I said, God has not released us. We will stay here until we go. And we, we were never spoken to again by that elder in a sense. We never came to lunches, dinners, nothing. Didn't care about us. On the last day that we were there, we had a morning service and an evening. I went to both. In the evening service, he said, Brad and Farah, stand up. We stood up. Rio was only like, you know, probably just turned one. We stood there and he said, Brad and Farah have decided to go to Dubai to chase after money. And, and they, they, um, 
We as elders do not agree with it. We will not be praying for them. We will not be releasing them. Um, at the end of the meeting, they'll be at the back of the hall. You can go and say goodbye to them. And at the end, people came and said goodbye to us. All our friends knew us. They, had no, they knew our heart. And he came up and he hugged, he came up to hug me and he said, I, I really pray that you will find a church that you can plug into and serve in and, and be discipled in. And I, and I just thought, I didn't even answer him. I thought, I've been told, I've told you numerous times throughout these last two months as we've worked through this process that God has called us to a specific church to serve a specific man and a woman in the vision God's given them. So I went there and I could have done something. I could have got offended and I could have not gone to serve the church and I could have blown out like most Christians do. And what I did is I felt to tend to the garden of my heart. And I phoned this guy and I used to speak to him on the phone and every time I went back to South Africa, I'd make a point to go and sit and have breakfast with him and talk to him and ask him how he's doing and go and visit the church that had kicked us out. And I sat there in that church worshiping God with all our other friends while that leader preached, knowing that he had kicked us out. Because I wasn't prepared to let some human being get into my heart and defame who God had called me to be. Friends, I can stand here today and say you've been hurt by leaders. I've been hurt by leaders, and I've been a leader who's been hurt by people. It works both ways. We always say, leaders, have you been hurt by a leader? Get over that. Just get over it. Tend to your heart. Yes, but you don't know how. I know how deep it was. We were rejected before men, dishonored before people. And I've been dishonored by people in the church as I've tried, sown my life to serve them. At the expense of a loved one at times. But guess what? Here I am, part of a church plant again. Prepare to to serve. Why? Because this is my responsibility. Not to let anyone get in there and defame who God has called me to be in my heart. It is my job to tend to the soil of my heart and to eat from the right tree. Yes, I'm going to eat from the wrong tree. I'll deal with my father with that or I'll let him deal with me, should I say rather. My encouragement to you is this. Tend to the spiritual realm of your heart. For from it can either flow issues or from it can flow the rivers of life that will feed your family, and feed the people of the city around you, and feed the nations of this world as the presence of God comes out of you. Amen.